Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. Hi. Thank you. That was very affirming. Thank you. Speaking of affirming, uh, very few of us, I would actually say none of us, probably zero, hardly any of us, get everything we need from the relationships we have. It's very easy to beat up on mom and dad. I'm not trying to do that. Your mom and dad are great. My mom and dad are great. You know, if we knew what they knew, we'd probably done what they did. And nobody gets loved by their parents in the ways that are exactly everything we need all the time. Can we at least agree on that? You know, you're hurting and you come to mom and dad and they're totally attuned to you, not at all distracted with what they've got going on all the time. Marriage. Nobody gets everything they need all the time from their spouse, right? Nobody has that partner that's not at all codependent and yet not at all distant. Always, at all times, just locked in. What do you need me to be? You don't need advice? I don't have advice. I'm just listening. You need advice? I had advice. Here you go. You're welcome. And it was very helpful. We need relationships, but we don't always get everything we need from those relationships. Coworkers. Nobody works with someone who just says, hey, I need you to let me know. I'm here for you. My career is taking a back seat. I'm here for you. What do you need me to be? How can I help you? I'm here for your success. I want you to be you at all times. So I'm going to just, I don't, there's no corporate ladder I'm trying to climb. There's no back savvy I'm going to do. I'm just here to help you succeed. See, Paul has laid out his vision for church, and church is going to be a place where we grow healthy through relationships. We need relationships to grow. And at this point, Paul now turns and faces us and says, hey, I live in reality too. We're talking about building this high love community. Paul's vision, remember what he saw for a church was this. My prayer, chapter 1, verse 9, in Philippians, I pray that your love would abound, would multiply, would grow, so that you would be able to discern what is good and you'd be ready for the day of Christ. What's he saying? I pray that you would grow mature through the relationships in your life. There's a great tennis documentary. It's called Love Means Nothing. Love means nothing. It's a meaningless word. We're like, Paul's, Paul's prayer for the church is, I pray your love would abound. We're like, mm-hmm, we love each other a lot. Do you like each other? No, we love each other. Paul's talking about this being a place where we have secure bonds, where people are gentle with our weakness, where we're known, we're cared for, we're excited to be together. There's joy. There's this loving, deep attachment that we've made together. He's like, I pray that that would multiply, grow. That places where it's not existing, it would exist. And now Paul turns to the audience member and says, hey, I know you've been riding along with me and you've got your questions. I hear you. 
I live in the same world you do. Where I've moved toward people and it hasn't gone well. And Paul's answer for how do we, how do we build these high joy, high love communities where our identity is being cultivated, where we're creating a sense of belonging, and because we're doing that, we're seeing transformation. How do we build that in the real world? How do we build that when people lie? People aren't honest about who they are. How do we build that when we're trying to love each other and then we get overwhelmed by just what life throws at us? How do we build that when some people may not think we're building that and they move away from us. Paul's answer to this question is on the one hand both liberating and on the other hand challenging. It's freeing. It's like, oh yeah, that's great. That sets me free hearing that answer. But on the other hand, it's like, oh man, that puts a little bit of onus on me. This is what Paul's answer to how do we actually build these Communities. How do we build high love, high joy, high attachment? How do we build church? Is that life-giving relationships very rarely just come our way. Life-giving relationships must be created. Life-giving relationships very rarely just happen. We have to create them. Now, on the one hand, it's like, oh, good, Ball's back in my court. And the other hand's like, oh man, ball's back in my court. It's both freeing and like, whoa. But Paul's able to walk us through this process where we have to be the ones to create those life-giving relationships, to take that risk, to step into, as Pastor Marshall talks about, the stretch zone. We get to do that because of some really good news. God loves us with his gut. The God of Scripture, God, very God, loves us with his gut. That is why we can move toward each other. God doesn't just love us out of obligation. He loves us deep, deep in the recesses of who he is. Love is flowing out for us. Not all of us got what we need from the relationships in our lives. And that creates a filter through which we see the world. But that filter can be corrected in places like this because God loves us with his gut. So if you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Healthy relationships are how we grow. Sometimes we find healthy relationships. Most times we have to create them. How do we do that? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... And make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. God, as we seek to encounter this love, as we seek transformation, as we seek growth, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the obstacles. What's standing in our way from being a people who receive and give love? the kind of love you gave to us. Father, there are obstacles that we didn't create. There are obstacles that have fallen in our lap. Some are our fault, some are not our fault. Father, whatever the obstacle, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it and to see how your love provides a way through. ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Healthy relationships. We got to create them. Like the artist formerly known as LCD Sound System said, the best form of protest, the best form of protest is to make something beautiful. It's very easy to be like, well, I don't have great relationships. Look at these people. The people God's put in my life are just crosses I have to bear. I, you know, I'm sure there are other people out there who have healthy life-giving relationships, but they didn't have the people I had. I'll just wait till some new people come along. That's the answer. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait it out. Then you're 60. Then you're 70. Then you're 80. Then that's it. How do we keep from becoming bitter old men and women? How do, we be, how do we be life-giving elders in our community? How do we aim at that of like, oh, man, the future is everybody abandons us to the future is, hey, I'm creating the love that I maybe never received. How do we move there? The answer, God loves us with his gut. Now, I don't know about you. I have this like, I have this uh, sixth sense, we can call it. I can tell when I say something and it's met with, oh, I should get that and I don't get it, but I'm just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm like, God loves you with his gut. And everyone's like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Yeah, that's good. I don't know why. All right? It's because we don't think like Greeks. Uh, in, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, the gut was your center of being. It was who you were. Right? Everything flowed from your gut. All right? In Greek, the word for gut is your splachna. All right? And it's one of Paul's favorite words. He says it a lot. He's got a lot of splachna for people. He's got guts. He feels it deeply. That's what Paul's trying to back us into a corner. It says God loves you deep in his being. 
deep in his being. He's trying to back us into a corner in verses 1 through 3. Or 1 and 2, excuse me. Look at it again. Verses 1 through 2. It's kind of weird, like just the grammar of it. So we've got to unpack it a little bit. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if any comfort from his love, and if any common sharing in the Spirit, and if any tenderness and compassion. There's all these if statements. And we're like, how is that an if thing? If this is, shouldn't it say since? Shouldn't he be saying like, hey, since we've got fellowship in the Spirit, and since there's comfort through Jesus' love, since this is true, then this. That's not what Paul's doing. What Paul's trying to avoid doing is he's trying to avoid getting us to a beautiful end by getting us there on a bad road, okay? It would be terribly confusing for Paul to say, hey, Philippian church, we're going to love each other, okay? So just shut up and start loving each other, all right? Come on. That's confusing. That's wildly confusing. He's, even the way we get to the end destination is love. And so what he's doing is like a good parent. He backs us into a corner, all right? So these are questions that are really like yes or no questions. So it's like this. Do you love your sister? Yeah. Is it really loving to smash that, that Tonka truck on her head? No. Well, you love your sister, right? Yeah. And that's not who you are, right? No. Backing us into a corner. Listen, and look at how he's backing us into a corner. Is there any encouragement from being united with Christ? Does being one with Jesus lift us up out of hard situations? Does being united with Jesus change anything? Yeah, I guess it does. Okay. Is there any comfort? Is there, the, the word there, comfort, is, is, is empathy. Is there this coming alongside from the love Jesus has? Is he off at a distance or is he near? I guess he's near. And then he gets, he, gets, he keeps going. Is there any any Koinonia, you may know that word, any fellowship, any oneness with the Spirit. And then he says this, is there any splagna? Tenderness might be how the NIV translates it. God loves you with his gut. He's backed us into a corner that says God doesn't just put up with you like your parents might have or like what you might do with your children. God doesn't use you in a transactional way like your co-workers do. He loves you from the deepest part of who he is. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get at the filters through which we see the world. Attachment psychologists talk about attachment filters. So based on uh, when we were young, the people we received care from, how they related to us, whether you're aware of it or not, creates a filter through which we see the world. So if your parents were not very present and if you were a bother to them, without being aware of it, you may not have heard those words, there's a message that we receive that says, like, I don't want to bother people. I'm a bother. I need to figure out how to not bother people. And Paul is saying this, let's get at those filters. Are you open to seeing the world differently? Jesus loved people with his gut. The rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus, Jesus did this, loved him with his gut. He had compassion on him. He felt it here. Moved toward him in love and pity. 
Jesus loves us deeply out of who we are, and that's meant to, re, is it meant to refocus the way we see the world. He's trying to get at like the lenses through which we, the people in this church, they just want, they, they, they just want me because, you know, I, I help them, it means to an end. They don't really need me. They just want to know like, oh, if my car breaks down, they've got somebody to call to borrow a car from. That's all this community is. We just use each other. That's because that's how we've experienced relationships in the past. Like, we are not just this blank slate. Our past shapes us. And the hard work of discipleship is going deep down and saying the God of the Scripture really does want to rework us at the deepest part of who we are because he loves us with the deepest part of who he is. That's the bedrock and the foundation for why we can be a high love community. There are lots of communities where people love each other. And we celebrate that. Please do not hear me like knocking on that. That's wonderful. People need community. But we're not just building community in a vacuum. We are God's people proclaiming to a world that he is king And his people live like him. And how does he live? He loves us with his gut. And now you're like, yeah, okay, but that's really hard and really messy. And Paul's like, I know. So let's keep reading. It is really hard. Here's what he says. Complete my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You don't need instruction to live harmoniously with people that comes naturally with. Live harmoniously. Like, we, we love, this is easy. Like, what are you talking about? We're so good at this. It's hard. He keeps going. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying this, we're trying to get at the filters through which you see the world, and you need other people to do that. You need other people to grow. My prayer is that your love would abound with each other, that love would grow in this place. We are relational beings. On Thursday, I just kind of took a personal day, and I hopped on my bike and rode to Roachport, way longer than I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, that'd be nice. I'll get there and be back by lunch. Oh my gosh, I'm amazed I'm back now. <laughs> All these like little towns in Missouri. I was like, oh man, it's like Grizzly Adams is going to jump out at me. And so I'm, I'm riding my bike and I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea what the town was called. Hallsburg, is that a thing? No. What is it? Hartsburg. That's where I was. And in the middle of nowhere, there's like a field that's not that, if you see it, it's not that far out in the field. But it's like close to the trail, but kind of in the woods. And there's these two benches facing each other. And, you know, I was kind of like in my like Tom Hanks castaway mindset. Like I'm all by myself all day and it's fall and windy and, and I'm all alone. And I saw these two benches facing each other and I was like, that doesn't make sense if relationships don't matter. Right? If you just live by yourself on a desert island, you're not building a, a bench and then a bench beside it. These, we're relational people. We are shaped by our relationships, and our relationships hurt us. And then some of the instruction Paul gives us is this. Be united together. Have the same love, united in spirit. Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit. Count others as more important than yourselves. And don't look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And we're like, ah, I don't want to be a doormat. It sounds like Christianity is just, how do we get love? You just got to bury your desires and be a doormat for everybody else. Part of the reason we think that is experience, but also it's just grammar. The grammar of this. So again, if we we can thank Mrs. Keller for this, my uh, second grade grammar teacher. There are... There are verbs, and then there are participles, okay? So verbs are where the money is. Verbs move the sentence forward. Participles just describe that. There's only one verb, what Paul's talking about here. I tried to lay it out here so we could see it. It's in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. That's the command. So he's saying this, how do we build life-giving relationships with people who may not want it? We've got we've to have the same mindset as Christ. And then he describes how you do that. We have the same love. We're united in spirit. We do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Counting others is more important than yourselves and not looking to your own interests. He, those are all describing how we cultivate being a people who live harmoniously. Like we think with our Western minds, have the same mind. Think the same thing. So if you get in a disagreement with someone at church, just think what they think. That's not, that's not how the original audience would have understood this idea of thinking the same thing. It's more of like live in sync, mind meld. Give attention to the same thing. It's unity versus uniformity. Paul is not saying we all need to be Cardinals fans because I'm out, all right? Some of you guys are, yeah, so are the Cardinals. Oh, thank you, John. John just said, so are the Cardinals. That was so good. I'm sorry, I, that's painful. So are the Dodgers, all right? I'm, so, I'm grumpy today. I'm mourning, all right? Thank you. Yes. All right, see, we're not alone. We don't all have to think the same thing. Paul's actually saying quite the opposite of that. He is saying, show up as you, all right? You can't really experience a high love community if you don't show up as you. That, and that, I think, is understood in that last participle. Not only looking out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Grammar is so important. All right? It's like most of all these like biblical controversies, the answer is in the grammar. This is an a la chi uh, construction. Okay? It's very simple. This is like Greek 101. All right? It's... Not only, but also. So you not only look out for your interests. What does that imply? You are looking out for your interests. But you not only look out for your interests, you also look out for the interests of others. And the intersection where those two things meet is called being like-minded. Where we show up as us. We are us. And we also care for each other. It's way better to be loved by someone who's being honest and showing up as their full self than to be loved by someone who's just helping you because they're anxious. Like, oh man, I really want to meet your needs because I have to, and if I don't meet your needs, people are going to think the worst things about me, that I'm not available, that I'm not kind, so what do you need? I'm here to help you. What do you need? No thanks. Like, I just need to be left alone. When we show up as ourselves, when we are looking out for who we are and who God has made us, and when we're caring for the community. That's how we pursue like-mindedness. 
Because look at how he describes some of these things. Like, man, if I do that, I'm going to be selfish. Look, there's warnings about that. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's a political word, meaning like doing things, using other people to get to the front of the line. Don't do, don't do that. We're not, that's not how we have like-mindedness. Like, oh man, I'll use the people around me because they have what I need. They have relationships that can get me connections. Great. No, 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 we're not doing that because we're also avoiding the next thing over there. Vain glory. We're trying to pursue things that really matter. And in doing that, you got to show up as you. A mentor from afar, uh, a guy who's really shaped a lot of what I, how I see the world, what I think about the world, his name's Jim Wilder, Dr. Jim Wilder. He tells this great story. This is something I aspire to. He was uh, at his church, and he's an elder at his church, and uh, another elder said, hey, Jim, you know, I really want you to take on this project. And Jim's like, sure, what's the project? Well, I, you know, here's what it is. Here's, you know, kind of things we're hoping to roll out. We'd love for you to lead it. Here's the time commitment we're looking at. Would you like to do this? Jim thinks about it and says, no, thank you. That's not me. I'm not wired to do that. I don't really want to do that. And the elder goes, okay, uh, I don't know if you're hearing me. Let me try to make this clearer. Here's what we need you to do. I'm really wanting you to do it. Yeah, I heard you. No, thank you. (laughs) Ten minutes go by, and the elder, in utter frustration, just ends up saying, oh, my gosh. You can't shame you into anything. And Jim says, I know. That's what it looks like to take care of our own needs in a healthy way. It's to not be shamed into doing things, but to serve communities because we're pursuing this like-mindedness. We show up as us. We know who we are. And we're able to love and meet the needs around us through who God's made us to be. And that is all rooted in the gospel. Paul roots all this in. He's like, what does this look like? Verse 5, he says, think like this. This is how Jesus thought, and then he talks about how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus lived. And we get this language of, though he was God, verse, in verse 6, he didn't think equality with God was something to rub in our faces. Though existing in the form of God, he took on the form of a servant. And this very controversial verb that Paul uses, he emptied himself. Jesus is modeling this care for us in humility. And it's scary. He's modeling for us what it looks like to pursue others' needs while being us. He existed in the form of God. He did not give up his divinity. He's like, well, what do you need me to be? I'll just be whatever you need me to be. And he dumps it all out. But he did humble himself and move towards. And look, look, Jesus humbled himself. And look at verse 10, or verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Jesus wasn't like, "Mm, no, 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 no. That wouldn't serve the community if I I stayed God and was exalted high above everything. No, I'm not going to do that. He stayed him. He didn't, when it says he emptied himself, he's not like, ah, forget this whole God stuff, as as if you could do that. Like, I I just, no. He stayed him and he served the community. And that's our model. This is the imitation of Christ. Remember, the end goal of us being like this in relationship, what Paul talks about in verse 5, when he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. The way to getting there is as important as the destination. 
And the way we get there is through imitating Christ. Again, there's magic in the grammar. Instead of holding on to his rights, there's two verbs that say what Jesus did. He emptied himself and he humbled himself. Look with me. This is verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Instead of holding on to his rights, verse 6, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. That would have been his right. I don't know if you know this, but if you're God, you win. Who's going to stop you? You're God, right? Who are we going to call? You know, Ghostbusters. You're it. What, what does it say about Jesus, what he did with his equality with God? Being in very nature God, being God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Instead of holding on to his rights, that was his right to do that, he emptied himself and he humbled himself. And the strong implication of what Paul is saying is that if, if God took care of Jesus, God the Son, if God the Father took care of God the Son when he did this, we can trust he'll take care of us when we do this. Because look at what happened. Verse 8, he found, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That phrase, obedient to death, it's still a phrase we use in English, right? Like, man, you listen to that song to death, meaning like you just do it to the ultimate degree. Jesus was obedient to the ultimate degree, and his obedience killed him. And we're like, yeah, it's scary. That's hard. If we create this loving community, what's going to happen to us? If we really pursue this, that's stepping into the unknown. Like, we live in a wildly individualistic world. I'll never forget, I was a teller at a bank when I was like, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. And, you know, I was just like young and full of youthful zeal. And this lady, she had a check with like the Jesus fish on it, you know? And it was like her own check. So she handed me her ID, her name, her check, written to herself with a Jesus fish on it. And I'm like, I'm going to get this lady. This lady's going to love me. Watch this. I was like, oh, are you a Christian? Like, where do you go to church? Excuse me? That is an unbelievably private question. How dare you? And then she told my supervisor. And I was like, well, thank you for the advertisement that I don't want to be your friend. And that is an unbelievably modern and Western approach to faith. My walk with Jesus is just about me and Jesus. Why do I need you? I don't know. Uh, the second greatest command is love your neighbor as yourself. Somehow this came to the loving God. I'll figure that out later. I'm just worried about the first thing here. We, we privatize our faith. And then when we move, to, move toward each other, it's almost like we're crazy. Like, we are interdependent people. We need each other. And we are interdependent people moving toward independent people who do not feel that they need us. That is opening up your heart for pain and rejection. Jesus faced a similar situation. Humanity, alienated and isolated from God, not harmony. And he pursued the relationship. He pursued harmony. And he died. And then... Verse 9, 
Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Because Jesus died on a cross, because he did that, God exalted him to the highest place. Now, theologians rightly argue and debate this passage. It's very confusing. This is not the time and place for that. Let me just say this. The language that's most helpful for this passage is this. Paul is describing how God became king. Okay? Jesus did not become God when he died on the cross. He's always been God, forever and ever, amen. You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. His kingdom was creation and his kingdom fell. And he came to that fallen kingdom and reestablished himself as king and renewed that fallen creation. That's what Paul's describing when he says this. He says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. This is a reference to Isaiah 45. I, this is a beautiful passage of the Hebrew Bible. What's happening in Isaiah 45 is this. God is making an invitation to the nations, saying, come worship this Messiah who's coming. And they say, no thank you. And it's like, what? He's going to bring renewal and it's going to be great. No they trust their idols instead. And then this beautiful statement gets made. God will give him the name and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what Isaiah is saying is this. Entrance into the kingdom does not depend on your, your nationality. Entrance, every knee who bows can worship. Everybody. The belonging created by Jesus is for everyone who confesses him as Lord. This is, this is given even in the face of rejection. The nation's rejected and he's still inviting. And the implication, the strong implication is this. Well, if this is how God took care of Jesus and we're united to Jesus, I think we can trust God to take care of us. And that's, this is just the passage broken down in a clear way. Again, we get lost in a lot of the adjectives. Here's what it says. Because Jesus emptied himself in verse uh, uh, seven, because he emptied himself, God exalted him in verse nine. Because he humbled himself, God gave him an honored name. Because Jesus was obedient, God made every knee bow. Because Jesus obeyed, God took care. Because Jesus trusted, God said, I'm trustworthy. And the implication for us is what's the obstacle for us trusting him to move toward each other. What is keeping us from building a high love relationship? Yes, it's very true. It takes two to tango. You can't have a relationship with people who don't want to have relationships with you. But the invitation that Jesus is offering is that we're a high love relationship. We're moving toward people. We're moving toward people in love. There's a couple applications, some things we can do with this. At the beginning of this message, we asked a series of questions, uh, some survey questions. One of them was, I am confident that this place is gentle with my weakness. How can we cultivate a high love relationship? We share a weakness with a safe person. We just find somebody here and say, hey, here's a weakness. Here's something I'm... Here's an identity thing I wrestle with. 
Here's this thing that keeps happening and I, it keeps coming and I keep trying to deal with it, but it keeps coming. Here's a weakness I have. I think I'm a terrible dad because I just keep yelling at my kids. I, I think I'm lazy because I can't motivate myself to really care about my job. Share a weakness with somebody. That's taking steps toward cultivating a high hesed, high love, high, strong, high bonded community, maybe even a high strung community. Another thing we can do, some of us can share weakness, some of us can listen to weaknesses. How many of you have ever shared something with someone, very vulnerable, and then just thought, wow, they totally did a great job bringing that back to themselves. I love the way they talked about how they struggled with that exact same thing 10 years ago. That was so great how they knew exactly what to do with barely any information. I can't imagine what that would be like going through life with that much wisdom. No, we don't say that. We say, man, they really listened. They really heard. They really understood me. They saw me. What does it take to build a high-hesed relationship? Sometimes we just sit there and listen. Listen. And then, well, what do I say when it's done? Nothing. We just... Listening. You find that when we do this, when we share weakness with someone, and when we listen to others' weakness, we're building this type of community where love abounds. I've shared some of this story before, but I... Um, I really wrestled with deciding to become the senior pastor of Compass Church. Not because of like, I don't like you guys or anything like that. It was a really hard decision. I knew before the fact, uh, way, way before the fact, I knew Ed was leaving. Ed was our former senior pastor. I knew he was leaving before most people did. Uh, we processed that decision a lot together. We brought other people into it. I remember him sitting around my kitchen table and like about a year before the decision was made, I'm like, he's done. And so I was really wrestling with, man, what is it going to look like if I were to try to step into that role? And I was like, I don't know if I can do it or if I even want to do it. Uh, there were older pastor friends in my life who I would just ask advice for, and there's this rule of thirds they talk about in church. Uh, and so churches are divided into like, you know, not totally, but in thirds. And whenever there's a big transition, a third of the people will leave. And so it's like, and then other people were saying things like this to me. You're going to be a lightning rod for that. So it's like, okay, I'm going to step into this role and I'm going to be misunderstood and I'm gonna, not going to do things perfectly. And oh boy, everyone's going to be mad at me. I don't know if I want to do that. Another reason I didn't know I wanted to do that is because one of my historical heroes is Lyndon Baines Johnson. And I, I know he's a terrible hero. He's an awful human being. Like, he's, very, he's a very bad person. But he's also kind of awesome. Like, uh, not minimizing the awfulness. <laughs> Awful stuff. And, uh, you know, I, and I, I, I did corroborate this with a, uh, a historian. But the U.S. Senate, I don't know if you know this, is, uh, doesn't function very well. Uh, and in our nation's history, it has not functioned very well. But there was a short period of time where it ran like clockwork. Do you know when that was? When LBJ was vice president. He got stuff done. He figured out, he like hacked the Senate. He figured it out how it worked, and then he got stuff done. And 
but he was also a terrible jerk in the process. And I'm like, I have dreams for the church, I, what I think the church can be, not to come at the church. I have a vision for like just, man, everybody's deconstructing. I don't think it has to go that way. Here's a way forward. I think this is awesome and beautiful and great. Man, I'm excited about that. And if I step into that, I'm gonna be misunderstood. I'm not gonna get things right. I'm gonna make mistakes. And right now I am anonymous and I kind of like being anonymous. And I do not wanna be a lightning rod that everybody's mad at. And oh boy. And so I wrestled with that. And then there were passages like this that really brought me a tremendous sense of hope where it's, hey, your mom and dad, if you have a mom and dad who loves you really well, it provides what attachment psychologists call a, a secure base that you can go out and explore the world, right? I didn't get that. Right? My parents are great, they're awesome, but like, I grew up with eight kids, I grew up in utter chaos. Okay? And so I don't have this secure base, and it's like, I want to take a risk. Uh-oh, can I not take a risk? Because I don't have that. And Paul says, like, hey, you didn't get the relationships you needed and wanted growing up, but God loves you with his gut. God, very God, who when Moses asks to see his face, God says, you can't handle it, so I'll show you my back. And when he shows him his back, he says, I'm Yahweh, Yahweh full of hesed and ra'um, full of this loving attachment and full of guts. I just have tender compassion for you. So we can take risks. We have a secure base, even though life didn't hand us one. And because we have that secure base, we can step out with each other and say, hey, Ah, uh, here we go, LBJ. I may be misunderstood. I may not get everything right. I'm going to have to apologize. I can apologize. Because my identity isn't on my ability to nail it or to get it right. This is both liberating and frustrating. The relationships that we want to experience, they feel so few and far between. But that doesn't mean they don't have to exist. We can create them. And that's the frustrating part. At the end of the day, we have to wrestle with, the world doesn't look like I want it to because I'm not making something beautiful. That's on us. Again, to quote the artist formerly known as the LCD sound system, the most beautiful way to protest is to make something beautiful beautiful. Compass Church will be beautiful with or without our consent. There are people here who confess Christ. There are people here who are united with Jesus. And because that's happening, there's all this beauty fledgling up. We can get in the way of that because we can't lay aside our own personal preferences. Because we either want to care for ourselves too much and we ignore the community. Or we can also kill that because we, we want to care for the community too much and we cultivate codependency and we don't let God do his work. Or we can join what God is doing in creating beauty here and just go along for the ride. It's been a wild ride. Like, a wild ride. Somebody pulled a gun on me last week. True story. Like, Peter, Will, and I were walking, sort of church-related. Like, we were walking, talking about church, and a neighbor just, like, had a gun. And I, I remember, like, 
I don't want to do this anymore. Like, ministry is so hard. Like, people are just pulling guns on me. I'm just trying to be a pastor to this guy. And that guy got that gun. Ah! And then I'm preaching on this. Okay. Okay. We can do this. We can do this because he went first. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't done. Father, Father, I pray that Compass Church would become, in the truest sense of the word, a protest church. That we would be fed up with the world's answers. That we'd be fed up with churches infighting and that we would create something beautiful, a high love, high joy, high attachment community where people really do belong and where people really do experience Jesus being Lord because when Jesus is Lord, the king who reigns in love, we know he's Lord because his people love each other. Father, I pray that you would help us to get out of the way, remove the obstacles. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.